Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty, at Real Chris Platty on Twitter. That's C-H-R-I-S-P-L-A-T-T-E. And I am back with Piston favorite, Piston expert on the Strictly Hoop Talk podcast, Duncan Smith of Piston Powered in the Athletic Detroit. Duncan, how you doing? I'm doing, Chris. How about you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Anytime the Pistons are 10-3 and 3 is, a, is a good time to celebrate. <laughs> For sure. All right, so um, so let's talk about the Pistons right now because this is arguably. I mean, I think I don't have the numbers offhand, but I would I would be fairly confident saying this is one of the best, if not the best, thirteen game stretches we've seen in the last decade from this team. So um, going five and zero at the homestand, beating uh, the Kings, the Pacers, the Hawks, the Heat, and I know I'm out of order, and the Bucks. Uh, so. Going five and zero during that home stretch, what were your biggest takeaways? It could be um, a player that impressed you. It could be like tactical things with coaching adjustments or such. Um, what is it that impressed you the most about this team during this stretch? Um, you know, I think it was probably uh, stretches of the last two games. Actually, um, the Pistons. Um, you know, the Pistons. I, I think last season, the game against the Hawks, they would have uh, choked away in embarrassing fashion, um, but they. You know, the, the Hawks made their comeback from like 19 points down to, I forget if they tied it up or they were within one or something. Um, but the Pistons, in in time, they kind of, they, they got their heads about them and they executed down the stretch. They, they pulled this off in time. They didn't find themselves having to come back from five points down or anything like that. Um, you know, that really impressed me. And then the last game of the homestand against the Heat, uh, they took like multiple big punches from the Heat. You know, the, the Heat were hitting a lot of threes. They're taking a lot of threes, and um, the Heat played pretty well. And the Pistons just kind of grinded down a decent team that was uh, really executing. Uh, that's honestly something that we haven't seen since uh, since the old days. You know, hmm. where the, a Pistons team takes a good team's best punch and then just kind of like puts them in their place for the, the entirety of the second half. Like they. They really asserted uh, they asserted their control on on both ends in the second half of that game, and um, I'd say that's probably like the single most uh, impressive thing to me that they could um, they could take a punch and then just basically like wrestle a team into submission, and uh, I really really enjoyed that. I like that fact. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That's a that's a really good point. That was the thing that I kept watching because you know. Of course, we try and stay objective, but we're fans of the Pistons. So, you know, with, with all the recent memories of the Pistons over the last few years, you know, I'm thinking every game, um, I'm thinking, okay, is this the game? Is Indiana the game they fall apart? Okay, is it Atlanta? 
is it Miami? Are they actually going to do this? Um, and again, I think this is the first time they swept a five-game homestand since 2007-2008 season, so it's been a while. Um, the thing to me that was the most impressive, and to kind of back up your point, was um, was just the just looking at the numbers over the last uh, five games. So I have here on NBA.com, for those of you that uh, that are curious to find the stats, NBA.com is, is the best place, in my opinion, to get the stats. Um, and so with, they are fifth in, or sorry, I'm fourth in offensive rating and ninth in defensive rating in the last five games over this stretch. So um, Pitts is playing well on both ends. I believe Duncan, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they are still currently 10th in overall for the season as far as defensive rating, right? Um, yeah, I was actually just looking at this, uh, working on a piece for uh, B-Ball Breakdown. Um, the Pistons are 10th in offensive rating, uh, pardon me, 10th in defensive rating. Uh, in spite of the fact that they've played the Warriors, who are first, the Wizards, who are fourth, the Clippers, who are sixth, the Timberwolves, who are eighth, and the Pacers, who are tenth. So five of their 13 opponents have been in the top 10 um, offensive teams, and they still have a top 10 defensive rating themselves. So when they start to like play some of the uh, more plotting, less sufficient offensive teams uh we might see that number actually uh surge um so the, the fact that they've they've held uh really good offenses to respectable numbers is is uh definitely a mark in their favor right now yeah yeah i agree and um as far as the net rating goes they are fourth overall net rating at um at 10.3 so again this team uh this team played very well um a lot of these games uh a lot of these games were winnable games, though, for them. Um, let's let's be let's be subjective here in saying that uh, they had the Kings, who are struggling, um, the Pacers, who have been up and down, but surprisingly pretty well so far. Uh, they've had the Hawks, who are struggling this year, as we know. They've had the Bucks, who are on again, off again so far um, this season, and they've also had the Heat who is a tough team, but came off of, I think Stan Van Gundy said, I think it was, what was it, like a three games and four nights situation or something for them? Um, yeah, yeah, they played the night before in New Orleans, I believe, as well. Yeah, 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 and so um, so it was a tough schedule. But you know what, at the end of the day, um, the Pistons won the games, and that's really all that matters is the wins and the losses. And, you know, despite all these advantages or disadvantages the Pistons face throughout this stretch, over the last few years, they, and I tweeted this, they would have found a way to lose one or two of these games, um, especially a team like the Pistons who have notoriously kind of played down to opponents um, as, opposed to, as opposed to maintaining a consistent level. And so um, one of the interesting things about this team, though, um, that, I wanted to, that I wanted to kind of get your perspective on is that they are over this stretch, and I think over. I think it's the same for the season as well. But they are twenty fifth in pace, and so um, so this is a very slow, decisive offense. If you watch it, there's a lot of there's a lot of just you know plays where Reggie brings it up, either runs a pick and roll, or Avery Bradley and Drummond are doing a dribble, a good dribble handoff combination, which has worked very well for them so far. Um, again, same with Tobias and a lot of a lot more ball movement. Um, so their offense, to me, as impressive as their defense is, their offense to me it is really really impressive so far. And I think, I think that just watching this team, I think you're seeing a lot more ball movement, a lot more action, as opposed to in the past where it was a very simplistic offense, right? 
yeah yeah uh, in the past you're you'd be finding uh primarily just like pick and roll and then like occasionally variations off of it you know um and uh like that's that's fine but a lot of what comes from uh, from a pick and roll being effective um or a lot of a lot of why you want an effective pick and roll rider isn't just to get like your point guard and your center um, good shots at the basket uh you also want to be um, like creating that kind of gravity in order to open up your, your three point shooters, and the Pistons just weren't knocking down those shots out of out of uh, like players created from pick and roll last year. Uh, this year, there's a lot more um, like off ball action, a lot more cutting off ball, especially from Avery Bradley and uh, you know Langston Galloway, I think as well. And um, it's just a lot harder to stop, you know, uh, when you've you've got like. Uh, a five-pronged weapon coming your way rather than just like two and then um you know the the anemic shooters that the pistons had all through the lineup last year yeah um so yeah it, the offense has been uh much more much more effective they've they're content to set up in the half court like they aren't forcing transition especially when uh, reggie jackson's on the floor uh it's kind of a different ball game when when Ish is on the floor um because that's kind of like that's kind of like the specialty, you know, like he, he's not a great half court point guard, but uh, when he can get out in transition, he can work some magic. On the other hand, Reggie's not a great transition point guard, but like this offensive philosophy they now have has them, um, has them really executing in the half court, which has not always been the case in the past. Uh, they're seventh in, uh, in half court efficiency right now, which is uh, miles beyond uh, what we saw in the past from them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And um, as far as the half court, another thing that's really struck me, and you kind of brought this up too, is the is the shooting. Um, they, as far as their percentage of points, uh, they're eighth in percentage of points from three point at thirty two point two percent. And last year, uh, correct, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but last year they were one of the leaders in um, in in the mid range shot. Correct. Yeah, yeah, a lot of shots ended up just being um, basically like Reggie didn't have the burst, so like if he can only get halfway to the rim, that's where he would set up, you know. So mm-hmm. he he'd make his cut off of uh, off the pick and roll, and uh, you know as as he said a few times, like it seemed like defenders just appeared out of thin air in front of him because he couldn't get around, you know, guys could close him off too easily. So in those cases, like you either have to like reset entirely and start over your offense or you just like take that shot that's in front of you. And uh, in this, in the way they're running, they're running the offense this season, they're shooting, uh, I think, I think last year they took about 25 uh, pull-up mid-range jumpers last year and they're down to about 16 per game now. So it's a remarkable difference. Yeah. 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 And, and so now, yeah, yeah. Right now they're, um, they're actually at like 20th in, in mid-range scoring right now. So, so again, a huge step towards a more, much more efficient offense, um, and, and a lot of that has to do with the with the steps that Tobias and Avery Bradley um, have. Had, well, I mean Tobias, because he was here last year, he has even found another level off of last year, which was impressive, and the addition of Avery Bradley has done wonders for the team so far, and so. Um, with, with that being said, we kind of talked about this, uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, so, um, I want to kind of jump into it. So what do you think is the, because there's a, there's a stigma against, 
against the Pistons, you know, after after their underperforming season last year. There's a lot of people, myself included, that are that are hesitant to buy all the way in on this ten and three start. Uh, what do you think the difference is? Is it just simply that the players are better? Is it that the coaching is better? Is it um, is it is it that the guys that they've added have helped in the locker room? Like, is it all of the above? What what exactly is it that um, that stands out to you that that you would tell a fan you would you would use to convince a fan to buy into this team? Um, I think there's a few things. Um, you know, I I don't expect uh, Tobias Harris is going to shoot 50% from three all season long. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's going to be some regression, but I think that there's um, there's this sort of like fundamental underlying of uh, of like philosophy and um, strategy um, that I think comes from uh, from basically Van Gundy being a, a very good coach. And I think that we've kind of forgotten that uh, the Pistons are. I think one of the reasons that they uh, they don't force transition um, is because uh, one of their keys to, to success is to not turn the ball over. Uh, winning the turnover battle is important. It, you know, it kind of sounds like a cliche, um, but it, it feeds directly to the Pistons getting like three pos- three more possessions per game um, just off of like winning the, the turnover battle. And when you are not necessarily the most talented team on the floor every single game, uh, getting more possessions is a big edge. Um, and then you've got the fact that Andre Drummond is, uh, he erases possessions and from, for an opposing team and he extends possessions for the Pistons. Um, you know, you, when you've got the best offensive rebounder and the best defensive rebounder in the NBA and one guy, uh, it really kind of, uh, it, it allows you to do different things, both in transition and transition defense. Um, that you couldn't do if you didn't have a guy like that, for example, um, you know, like a lot of teams really give up on the offensive boards in order to get back in transition defense. And the Pistons don't have to do that because they've got one guy who can grab the rebound while everybody else is, you know, being responsible in transition D and, and getting back. Um, so this, um, it, it kind of allows them to uh, to capitalize on these little inherent edges that come from both, you know, Drummond's presence, Van Gundy's philosophy of uh, protecting the ball and stuff. Um, as far as the players go, uh, whether Tobias is, you know, one of the best shooters in, in the NBA, uh, for the rest of the season or not, um, it, it opens up a lot of what they do because like defenses are going to have to respect his three for the rest of the season. You know, like they're not going to forget this stop, even if he goes like 35% the rest of the way. Um, so because of that, like defenders have to close out hard on him on the perimeter. And now he's got this like nasty first step that can get by just about anybody who has to close out hard on him. Uh, so it's really got this sort of like outside in um, sort of like reciprocating effect, you know, and um, should a defender decide that they're going to like hedge on his drive or something like that. Like he's, he's not even like pausing for a, for a split second when that ball gets in his hands, you know, if he's open, that shot's going up. Yeah. And I, I think that like the fact that defenders are literally stuck choosing between like two brands of poison, um, is a really, really beneficial thing for him. Whether the shot falls or not, like a big part of having um, a, a potent offense is just having guys that have to be guarded, and Tobias has to be guarded all over the floor. Um, so I, you know, there's a lot that's different about this team compared to last year. Um, whether it be uh, dribble handoffs with Drummond as opposed to running like straight pick and roll all game long, um, whether it simply be like Avery Bradley is a lot better than KCP. 
<laughs> on both ends, you know, like um, there, there's just sort of like reason upon reason that this is different. You know, we're going to need a bigger sample before we can say this is for sure for real. Um, but I, I think that um, a lot of the key indicators are there for this to be, um, you know, if not <laughs> a team on pace for 60 plus wins, uh, certainly a team that's just really good and really tough to beat for everybody in the NBA. Yeah, I agree. And so I agree with everything you're saying, but I want to shift the uh, the focus to, to the defense because um, in particularly, I think a lot of this comes from Andre Drummond, obviously, when I get to these numbers. Um, so the Pistons right now, um, and, and again, I agree, I agree with everything you're saying, a lot more efficient offensively, but defensively, I think is what's really helping me buy in because last year it just... It seemed like, and I'm sure you know this uh, because you talk about this all the time, is Drummond gets ragged for defense. And um, right now the Pistons are second in opponents, uh, in, in opponents' second chance points. So that means that they are cleaning the glass very well. I think they're a top five rebounding team as of right now. And as far as points in the paint, um, they're, number, they're number nine and least allowed in, in points in the paint. And a lot of that has to do with your center. And so those are two uh, those are two categories. Last year the Pistons struggled with rebounding, which I know confused a lot of people because of Drummond. But if you remember, I mean, a lot of that lineup outside of Drummond couldn't rebound. And now this year they're they're rebounding the ball a lot better. I think I think Avery Bradley's a better rebounder than KCP was. Reggie being healthier has helped a little bit here and there. I think Tobias has stepped up. And um, starting Stanley or John Luer, again, those guys have kind of gotten after it a little bit on the defensive end for the for the boards. And so overall, this team has improved rebounding-wise, which has helped significantly. And also, again, um, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of the um, general NBA analysts, the guys who are the guys who don't just focus on specific teams, but focus on the league in general. A lot of their critiques of the Pistons was that Drummond just allowed points at the at, at the rim easily, like like kind of like Jokic is uh, doing now, and so you know I never thought it was to that extent, but I definitely um, I definitely am seeing a lot of improvement. So I think a lot of credit has to go to Andre Drummond because these are two stats that are pretty much dominated or centered around around the center and and his effort. So. Um, so I think that's I think that's a big thing that's really helping elevate the defense on top of the addition of Avery Bradley being a an amazing perimeter defender outside. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm actually looking up the, uh, Drummond's rim protection numbers, but uh, while I'm while I'm looking that up, um, there's also the fact that one of the things that Van Gundy really wanted uh, Drummond to focus on was uh, like really kind of like lunging out and uh, disrupting the pick and roll ball handler. And like not so much just like hanging back in the paint. Um, he hasn't been doing that consistently all season, but he's he seems to be doing that more regularly than he did last year. Um, and uh, just just the fact that like he is being disruptive at the perimeter is um, it's a twist, you know, that I think a lot yeah. of teams are not necessarily prepared for. Um, yeah, he's he's not defending the rim especially well. Uh, Shooters are uh, hitting 4.6% better than their averages against him around the rim. But, you know, I mean, like, there's also a lot to be said for, uh, like, teams go one and out against them, like, pretty much every time down. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, 
I think that there's probably something, something uh, sort of like an offsetting balance there as well. Like if he was a little bit better protecting the rim, then that defensive rebounding rate would probably drop. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's probably sort of like an equilibrium there. I, I don't know exactly where it is, but yeah, uh, it kind of seems logical that there would be. Yeah, yeah, it's um, fans. Fans are expecting it's like two K where you where you where you stop the where you protect the rim and rebound. That's a very very hard thing to do. Um, sometimes there's there's kind of a, a, a trade off, and so uh, and look as Drummond being really, I think out. I I mean honestly, is Avery Bradley like the second best defensive rebounder in the starting lineup? I mean maybe. So I mean you kind of gotta have Drummond um, rebound right. Um, um, I'll have to look here, but there beyond Drummond, there's kind of like a gang rebounding uh, yeah. mentality. Yeah. Um, Bradley was one of the better rebounding guards last year, but that was because like there, yeah. there was really nobody to like, vacuum up those rebounds for the, uh, the Celtics, you know, like, yeah, true. Horford, Horford's very good at many things that rebounding isn't one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like Bradley's rebounding percentage is way down, but then yeah. you've got like Tobias's rebounding percentage is up. Reggie Jackson's rebounding percentage is way up. Um, he rebounded worse than Isaiah Thomas last year, and Reggie's got like six inches on him. Like wow, I know, didn't, it, I didn't it, actually it, know that. Yeah, man, it, it was it was. Uh, I forget if he was the worst rebounder in the league or like the second worst, but he was. Uh, he was the definition of a light rebounding guard. Um, <laughs> this this year, you know, he's. Uh, it's been a while since I've checked it, but I think it's around like 7%, which is about league average for a guard. Um, and considering where he was last year, it's almost double uh, a rebounding rate. So, um, yeah, I, I think that Bradley's rebounding numbers have been kind of revealed as uh, just one of the many quirks that uh, <laughs> yeah that uh, you can find when you look at the Boston Celtics and pretty much any Brad Stevens team, I think. Um, you know, he, he just largely benefited from uh, Al Horford not being a rebounding big man. Uh, so I, he's probably the um, probably the worst rebounder uh, from a percentage point of view um, on the starting lineup. Uh, but, you know, that's just kind of what you expect out of your 6-1 shooting guard. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. Um, yeah, so, so these are all things that are that are speaking to a different a, a difference from last year and I think that I think that there definitely is now reason winning eight of the last nine and winning five in a row sweeping the homestand I think this is definitely there's definitely reason to put stock back in this piston team so let's kind of look ahead to the schedule because you and I talked about this before the pod and I've talked about it with multiple people on Twitter as I'm sure you have and this is kind of being looked at as the next real test, this next 13 games. So uh, looking ahead, 11 of the next 13 games are on the road. I think they have one, maybe two more home games in all of November. That's it. And then, um, and so again, 11 of the next 13 games are on the road for the Pistons. So looking ahead at the schedule, kind of looking at what are some of the games or stretches of games that kind of stand out to you as as interesting ones to watch for the Pistons? Um, you know, I think uh, a hallmark of these next 11, uh, these next 13 games is a lot of them are really interesting too. Um, you know, you've, you've got a rematch with the Bucks who now have Eric Bledsoe and that's on the road. Uh, you've got a rematch with the Pacers who are a whole lot better than anybody expected. Uh, you got a rematch with the Timberwolves. The Pistons basically handled them for, um, 
did, did everything they wanted to the, the Timberwolves when they met at Little Caesars Arena a couple weeks ago. But there is no Jimmy Butler, so it's going to be a different squad. Um, the Pistons' next home game is the uh, the second night of a back to back against the Cavs. Um, you know, I I expect the Cavs at some point or another to wake up. Yeah, and I also don't think the Pistons are going to go undefeated on back to backs. Uh, yeah. So you know, it's it's going to be a tough game against the Cavs. Then they play the Thunder, the Celtics. Uh, they get probably a gimme against the Suns, but even the Suns have been kind of a. Uh, I don't want to say a surprising team, but ever since the firing of Earl Watson, they've been, you know, somewhat resurgent. Like they've played with some pride, uh, and then they go the they play the Wizards, the Sixers, the Spurs, and the Bucks on the road, and then they play the Warriors at home. Um, it's yeah. uh, it's a really killer stretch, and I think that it, one thing it highlights is that um, there are not nearly as many gimme wins this year as people expected. You know, the Knicks were expected to be trash, and they started off poorly. Um, and uh, they've been really, really good the last uh, the last few weeks. Uh, the Pacers were expected to be bad, and they've been pretty good. Um, let's see, the Sixers. I think people expected the Sixers to be uh, at least interesting, uh, but the Sixers are are a tough out. You know, like um, even the Hawks. Like they, the Hawks beat the Cavs, I think, in Cleveland. Yeah, um, and you know there there are no teams that'll like roll over and and. Pretty much every team has like uh, has a either a guy or a, a core that you can kind of rely on to like pull you back in a game or to keep you in a game. Um, it's it's just you know aside from like the very top of the league where like you have your uh, your behemoths like the Warriors and the the Rockets. Um, you know, there's there's not as many cupcake wins. There's not as many guineas um, as we've seen before. Like the, the Pistons have a legitimate month. Um, a full month before they have like what you might consider to be like a sure win. And it's on the road to the Hawks, you know, like they've got a really tough stretch of games coming up and it's, it's, it says more about the league as a whole, which is in a better place. I think than most people expected than it does about the Pistons not being trustworthy. You know, it's just like a real murderer's row for the next month. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I want to, I, and, and I've wanted to um, look at this just from the angle of evaluating the Pistons and, you know, do you want to buy from the, from the, do you want to buy in perspective? Like what is the way, what are the games? What are the kind of the games that you think will really be telling? And to me, um, I think that stretch against that three game stretch against the, uh, the Cavs back to back, like you pointed out is very interesting. Um, also then, then they follow that playing the thunder and the Celtics both on the road. Um, now, granted, there are some spaces in between those games. Definitely, uh, they play the Cavs on a Monday. Then they then they don't play again until Friday against the Thunder, and then they don't play um, the Celtics till Monday. Um, however, that is still a lot of traveling, and um, those are three teams that I mean, the Cleveland Cavaliers aren't playing well right now, and the Thunder aren't playing particularly well. But those are those are three teams you expect to be near the top of the standings when the season finally ends. And so that to me, that three game stretch right there is going to be very, very interesting. That's what I'm, that's what I'm really gonna have my eye on. Um, and like you said, it's also the way it kicks off too is interesting. Playing the Bucks, Pacers, and Timberwolves, all three teams that, like Stan and Gundy said, are gonna be teams that want to get revenge. And um, they're three teams that the Pistons beat this year at home. So 
um, you know, playing those teams on the road is definitely going to be, is definitely not going to be easy. But yeah, that three game stretch of the Cavs, Thunder, and Celtics is going to be going to be mighty tough for the Pistons. I think. Yeah, we might see a losing streak on this on this uh, yeah this coming up stretch. I, I don't think we're going to see them like dripping back down to five hundred or anything, but there may be some ugly ones in this stretch. Yeah, definitely. Um, so so okay, so I want to end with this then. Um, so kind of like a prediction time thing. Uh, so again with these with this stretch, the, these next thirteen games, just looking at the schedule and looking at how you've seen the Pistons play this year. What is a reasonable expectation for them? Like, what is, what it, what is, what do you expect them to do? And what are you, at, what are you, if you're, if you're looking forward to Pistons, if you're a fan of the Pistons, what is a satisfying uh, record for the for this Pistons team after the next thirteen games? I'm um, looking at the schedule here. It's it's tough to like necessarily like pinpoint sure wins, you know, because like I would right. I would want to go like both Bucks games are wins, a Pacers game is a win, but you know it's hard to beat a team three times in a row in the NBA, it's hard to beat a team twice, you know, yeah. like that, that's what it would take to, to sweep the Bucks and the Pacers. Um, so like, rather than just like breaking it down game by game, I think probably what I would, I would say is um, I would be really happy with a seven and six stretch. Yeah. Um, six and seven, I'd be more or less fine with mm-hmm. um, anything beyond that. I, I think you're playing with just more house money. And anything below that, you know, we'll, we're going to have to, like, reassess what we think about this team after every single game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if they go 4-9, and nine, we're going to probably have to take some uh, take a, a, look, a good long look and um, just kind of, like, reevaluate what, we, what we're thinking. But um, I, I don't necessarily expect a stretch like that. But, again, it's hard to find, like, you know, gimme wins on this, on this schedule. So um, anything better than a winning record, I think, is just, like, would be fantastic. Anything... Worse than you know, five and eight, six and seven. We'll probably have to kind of um, see how we feel about them. Yeah, I agree. Five and eight is the lowest I I want to go after that. I think there's terms of evaluation because, like you said, this is definitely a tough stretch. Um, so five and eight, I think I'm even comfortable walking or understanding walking away from from a, from that and looking at that record. Um, so it it'll be interesting. Um, I think it's. I, I'm optimistic, and I'm, of course, eagerly looking forward to the schedule. Um, again, I think it's going to be a 7-6, and 6-7 six, six split, uh, kind of like you said. And if that's the case, then, then that's, still, that's still really good uh, because this is probably – I don't – I'm not looking at their full schedule. I don't have their full schedule in mind, but this is probably one of, if not the toughest stretches of, this, of the year for this team. And so um, you're playing pretty much quality opponents every single night. And, you know, the Cavs, while they're not quality now, again, are a team that could, they're going to look to flip the switch at any moment on any team. And the Pistons could be victim of that. Um, Again, same with the Thunder. Celtics are playing out of their minds right now. Um, The 76ers got the best of the Pistons last time. You know, playing the Spurs and Warriors never easy. Again, you got some revenge games against the Bucks and the Timberwolves and the Pacers, and so this is going to be a very, very tough stretch. So, um, I think I think the biggest thing that will um, that will that will be telling of this team is is seeing how they look through those first uh, those first six games. I think will be an indicator, and then after that, again. This this overall stretch will be a huge indication of where this team is at um, 
26 games into season. That's obviously a, 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 a fairly large sample size and enough to be confident uh, about, a, about a position on a team. So um, I'm looking forward to this, Duncan. Um, I know you are as well. Uh, so, Duncan, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, any last closing thoughts or things you want to look out for during during this stretch before we get going? Um, not not really. Um, I don't. I can't say that I've got any uh, any forecast for uh, for the coming stretch, other than like I'm I'm as curious as anybody as to what's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I people have asked me like what my expectations are for this team, and at this point, like I don't <laughs> really have any now. You know, like my my personal ceiling expected ceiling for this team has basically been, uh, you know, um, tossed to the wayside right now. So, uh, I don't really know what to expect, but, uh, I'm, I'm as curious as anybody right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the things I think that the Pistons has struggled with, and this will be my closing thought is last year, it just looked like they didn't have the right guys in the locker room as far as leadership role. And so, um, with the additions of Tolliver and Bradley, I think that is a huge reason to buy in this team. Bradley is uh, obviously experienced a lot of success in Boston, um, played for a great coach, played in a great system, won a lot of games. And Anthony Tolliver, we seen the Tolliver effect two years ago, and now we're seeing it again this year so far. So I think that this this is where um, where we're going to see. Um, we're going to see those kind of veteran presence, the, the things you can't really measure on the court. Um, I think that's where we're going to see this kick in is is Anthony Tolliver, Avery Bradley, guys like that, keeping everybody's head straight during this long and tough road stretch. So that, to me, is, is another reason for me to be optimistic. And also the fact that they've won a few games without, uh, without Stanley Johnson. And, I mean, John Luehr hasn't played either, but... Those who follow me on Twitter know how I feel about John Lewis. So, yeah, um, he's he's not even polarizing anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, all right, Duncan. Uh, thank you for coming on. You do great work. So, why don't you promote where you where you do your work? Because I'm sure you could promote your work a hell of a lot better than I can. So, go ahead and plug it because it's fantastic sure. work. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, you can find my my stuff on uh, the Athletic Detroit. Uh, also piston powered, and uh, I've just started working with uh, with uh, the crew over at B-ball, B-ball Breakdown, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, I've got a piece that should be coming out tomorrow morning. Uh, really, kind of touching on a lot of this stuff. Uh, it's it's more or less a uh, primer for an outsider's perspective on the Detroit Pistons. So, you know, if if you're not sure just exactly how the Pistons got here, if it's sustainable, um, who is who is making an impact? Um, more or less, I'm, I'm trying to take the Pistons from uh, from a, a knowing virtually nothing but the record um, and introducing exactly like why they're here, why we, we think it's sustainable or not, uh, who's doing what. And, um, you know, it, it it's going to be a pretty long piece. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so uh, go over to B-Ball Breakdown and check that out. I'll be tweeting it out in the morning when it goes up as well. So uh, that's... That's pretty much what we're up to right now. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Duncan Smith NBA as well. Yep, Duncan Smith, cousin of Ish Smith. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The lesser cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ish is playing well too. Uh, by the way, during this stretch, I mean, not that not that he hasn't been pretty much fantastic since we got him, but yeah, he's playing really well. Yeah, yeah, he's doing his thing. 
Yeah. Mr. Consistent, usually. <laughs> Mr. Consistent. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, I am your host, Chris Platty. So if you're a fan, fan of Duncan Smith and checking out my podcast, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you, and I appreciate you. And uh, subscribe to my podcast, man. It's Strictly Hoop Talk and Strictly Hip Hop. It's a hip hop and a um, NBA podcast. They are separate. I have NBA podcasts, which are Strictly Hoop Talk, and I have hip hop podcasts, which are called Strictly Hip Hop. And the hip hop podcasts go all over the place from album reviews to interviewing artists to all sorts of things to in in depth conversations. And um, for the NBA, you could just get your daily dose of NBA, just going around the league, talking to talking to teams um, or people connected to various teams across the league. Uh, kind of like this one where we we kind of focused in on the Detroit Pistons. Uh, there's definitely going to be more coming about some other teams very soon. So stay tuned for that. And um, and thank you guys, thank you guys for listening. You can find all my content on my Twitter. And that's at real Chris Platty, C H R I S P L A T T E. If you don't know how to spell real, don't follow. Just kidding. That is a catchphrase. <laughs> um, follow and on there in my bio and my pinned tweet has a link to both iTunes and Podbean where I publish my podcast. And also, I have another hip hop podcast coming. It's in the works right now. I've dropped a few teaser episodes, so um, stay tuned for that as well. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And once again, Duncan, thank you for coming out, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.